You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Hello. As we come to this time in our service uh, to collect our tithes and offerings, just wanted to share a little uh, devotion with you um, regarding how God provides. Uh, my name is Jerry Sikor, and I'm a director um, here at CFCC. I've been a member for uh, almost 17 years, married to my beautiful wife, Tracy, and have four children. Uh, the oldest is our only daughter, Brittany, and then we have our oldest son is Kyle, our middle son is Jimmy, and the youngest is Jordan. Um, I share that with you because um, uh, my family, they're all part of my giving, my giving journey. So as we look at Abraham and the sacrifice that uh, he was asked to do, um, it's part of our kind of stewardship journey as we, as we look at everything that God has given us. So when we look at the words stewardship journey, I looked them up in the dictionary, and stewardship is careful, responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And certainly Abraham had that with his son Isaac. A journey is something suggesting travel or passage from one place to another. The journey from youth to maturity, a journey through time. Our stewardship journey begins with knowing that God owns it all. He owns our money, he owns our kids, our talents, and our possessions. As we take time now and during this week to focus on our own stewardship journey, let us remember that our goal should become more mature and effective stewards of the resources God has blessed us with. Let's look at Abraham, who is a great example of faith in biblical stewardship, trusting and trusting in God. So let me read part of Genesis 22. Um, I skipped around a little bit, so it's not verbatim, but I think it tells the story well. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there. Abraham set out for the place of God that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here. Me and Isaac will worship and then we will come back to you. That was his faith. He knew that he was gonna come back with Isaac. As the two of them then went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. To me, that sounds like a spiritual journey. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the top on the altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy or do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham looked up and behold, there he saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and have not withhold your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Abraham showed that he trusted God and had faith. That's what God wants us to do. I have stumbled many times on my stewardship journey, especially in the beginning. I realized that I needed to increase my giving and to give more consistently. And for those of you who are married, your spouse can be really helpful uh, in this area. My wife had urged us uh, me, since I handle the finances, to do the automatic giving. I was always crunching numbers. And I said, well, I don't want to do the automatic. We'll just give as we have the money to give. And so 
she uh, consistently urged me to, to do the online giving. And so reluctantly earlier this year, I just I decided to do that. So increased the giving and made it automatic. And it just was a burden lifted off of me where it was just automatically transferred out of our checking account. And so as we decided to look at even more giving, um, we decided to downsize our house. And so having the four children in the house earlier on, we needed a bigger house, but uh, now we only have one in our house. And so one child, um, young man, I should say, he's 17. So we decided to sell our house. And as the summer went by, um, nothing was really happening. And then finally at the very end, well, you know how God answers prayer, right? In his time, not our time. The very end we get a, uh, of the summer, we get a cash offer closing next Friday, right after school starts. And so um, it, was a, it was a praise there that, uh, that our house is being sold. So then we went to look for a new house, and we had to stay within uh, Jordan's High School. And so that really limited the location. And so we decided to rent for a year, and then once he graduates, we can move wherever we want. Well, a lease house came up kind of a, just a mile or two away, still in the Cywood School District. And we were going to lease for a year. They said, you know what, we only want to lease for nine months. Worked out perfect because Jordan will graduate in nine months. Once again, an answer to God's prayer. And so we accepted that as the perfect house for us. Uh, smaller size means lower utilities, all of that stuff. So more money for giving. Um, then we're driving along and all of a sudden I get a phone call. And it's, a, it's an acquaintance of mine who's actually become a friend over last year. Him and I were in a stewardship class together. And he's like, Jerry. I said, hey, what's up? He said, I just wanted to let you know that uh, you're renting my house. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? I didn't know your house was for rent. He's like, yeah, I'm moving to Africa to become a missionary. So, you know, God provides in many ways. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for everything that you've given us. We thank you that you answer our prayers, not necessarily in our way or in our time, but you do provide. You promise us you will provide. You've provided in the past, you'll provide today, you'll provide in the future. Help us to give abundantly to you so that we can help impact the kingdom of heaven and that more people may know you and may know the love and forgiveness of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. very exciting day. Uh, We're going to celebrate new life. We have four baptisms this morning, which is awesome. Um, Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians that says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And as we bury people in the waters of baptism today, uh, they rise in Christ as a new creation. Amen? So this is my friend Seth Lewis. Uh, Seth is part of the Engaged Student Ministry, known Seth for a long time, and he's here to, to confess his faith. So if you would, repeat the great confession after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And my personal Lord and Savior. My personal Lord and Savior. Seth, it's on this confession that I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Curtis Weatherill. This is my daughter Elizabeth. Come on, sweetie. Repeat after me. Great confession. I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And my personal Lord and Savior. And my personal Lord and Savior. Based on this confession, I now baptize you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is Hope Taylor Kendrick. This is the oldest child of my oldest child, Emily, and her husband, James Kendrick. 
It's been such a joy to watch her uh, raised in the Word, uh, to grow in knowledge and love for our Lord, and to see the influences of, of Him in her life. So, what a marvelous day it is to witness this blessing in life, dedicate her life back to Him. Hope, would you repeat after me? Yes. <laughs> I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And my personal Lord and Savior. My personal Lord and Savior. All right. Well, based on that confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. like to introduce you guys to my friend September. I met September when I was still just volunteering here. It has been an honor to watch her grow in her faith and her knowledge of the Lord. And I'm so excited that she has decided to publicly proclaim her faith through baptism today. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, so repeat after me. I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And my personal Lord and Savior. And my personal Lord and Savior. Based on that confession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, hold your nose. <laughs> That was awesome, wasn't it? I tell you, every time um, someone's baptized, student, child, adult, uh, I hope it either brings you back to the time and point in your life when you followed Christ in baptism, or maybe it might challenge you. Um, maybe you've not gone public with your faith. As Jeff said, um, it is an outward symbol of an inward commitment you've already made. And, and I hope you would consider going public. I hope you would consider standing and, and proclaiming your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's ask God um, to guide us, to speak to us as we open his word. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for each one who um, has walked through these waters and gone under these waters and has been raised from these waters this morning. Uh, Father, we know that in and of their own power, they cannot possibly live for Jesus But Father, we know that through your transforming power, through the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, each of these can be in the process of becoming like Jesus, maturing, maturing in a body just like this with other believers so that they might attain the full, full stature of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We ask you to speak to us now. Meet us in this moment. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we continue... Uh, our mini-series, This Is Us. Um, Last week, we talked about an incredible love story. God has been pursuing us. He longs to have a people of his own. From creation until this very day, God has been pursuing a people of his own for himself. We call that people the church of Jesus Christ. We are connected to God through this supernatural love. And we are connected to one another. We are the people of God, the family of God, connected in love, connected in forgiveness, connected in serving one another. Our connection is lived out 
It's not just something we profess. It is something we live. If you would, direct your attention to the screen. What does it mean to love one another? Is it an emotion of the heart? An act of service? A force of the will? Can love ever truly be defined? We think so often in simple terms, but real love goes much deeper. It strengthens the weak, helps those in need, lives in harmony with all people, and holds us accountable. Love means carrying each other's burdens, admonishing and instructing, showing compassion and feeling it too, spurring one another to good deeds, confessing and forgiving, building and maintaining trust, being of one mind no matter our differences. Love means accepting others for who they are and allowing ourselves to be changed in the process. So love holds us together, grafted by faith into the one true Christ, whose example compels us to love one another. If you have a Bible, uh, if you don't have a Bible, look at in front of you, you'll find a Bible that you can read along um, with me or you can follow along on the screen. I want us to look at an incredible picture of a group of people who loved one another. Um, Look at Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. Uh, We find the early church in Acts chapter one. At the beginning, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills those Um, who have followed Jesus and have embraced Jesus. And now we see a small group of believers. This is not the 3,000 believers that profess Christ. We see a small group of that group gathered. And the Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added day by day those who were being saved, those who were being rescued from their self-centered pursuits, Um, Those who had embraced legalism and lots of rules and and hoped that they might earn their way to God someday. They were rescued by the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you for a moment, what are some things people devote themselves to? That's the way the passage starts out. And they devoted themselves to uh, the apostles' teaching was the first thing right off the bat. What are some things people commit to, pour their life into, devote themselves to? Help me. Um, By the way, this is a no holds barred, right? I'm not going to laugh at any of your, every answer, anything you roll out is appropriate today. All right? Anyone, jump in. Whoa. Work. Family. Hobby. Spouse. Oh, who said that? Wow, their spouse. I like that. I thought that was my wife over there, but it wasn't. Someone else. Career. Children. Children. Alcohol. I said no holds barred, didn't I? Fishing. Hunting. Golf. Astros. 
David Durrett, anytime someone says they're a fan, says, do you know what a fan is? What's a fan, David? It's a fanatic. (laughs) But we let him do that. (laughs) Someone else. Ministry. Football. Fitness. Jesus. Thank you, Miss Adair. What? Church. Mike Myers, what do some people commit themselves, devote themselves to? Running. Running. (laughs) Right, Ramon? Seasoned athletes. Country. Food. Food. I like food. (laughs) The election. Outdoors. Thank you. I like that as well. I think it's very clear in Acts 2 that we have a devoted group of people. We have a group of people who are pouring their lives, not just devoted to Christ, but there is an overflow of their devotion to Christ and their devotion is to one another. So right off the bat, I'm going to share with us four things, three things we see in this passage, but we see that they're committed to the truth and to living the truth, all right? Not just to truth. There are a lot of people committed to truth. They might be committed to the pursuit of truth. They might be committed to attaining knowledge, They might be intellectuals, and I um, really uh, respect intellectuals, all right? But in the New Testament, it is not either intellectualism or living out your faith. In fact, they go hand in hand. Learning results in living, right? Knowledge, this is Jesus' teaching, results in action, He doesn't want us to just be doers, um, hearers of the word, but doers only. Those who only heard the teaching built their house on the sand. Those who do God's teaching builds their house on the rock. And the storm comes and the winds come. And the house stands for those who are doers of the word. Let's look at the little one verse in 242. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, let's just make it clear. The New Testament was not in existence when Acts 2 uh, occurred. The Gospels, none of the Gospels have been written by this time. None of the... the, um, biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, have been written at this time. So if they wanted to hear about Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, then they sat at the feet of the apostles. Here's what John Stott says. Since the teaching of the apostles has come down to us in its definitive form in the New Testament, Contemporary devotion to the apostles' teaching teaching will mean submission to the authority of the New Testament. A spirit-filled church is a New Testament church in the sense that it studies and submits to New Testament instruction. The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. You see, knowledge does not equal obedience. How many of you know how to eat healthy? How many of you know how to exercise? How many of you eat healthy and exercise on a regular basis? Right? I would guess that if we took a sampling of everyone in this room, we might not be the picture of health, okay? Knowledge does not equal obedience. How many of you have raised a teenager? All right, teenagers, just let me go here for a moment. Don't, don't, 
Don't say boo, all right? All right? I cannot tell you the times that I've heard one of my teenagers that are now grown, 23 and 27, say, I know, I know, all right? But I'm just going to tell you straight up, I know, I know does not mean they're going to do what they know, right? Knowing is not doing. Now, with all this talk about doing, someone's going to say, Dale, this church is about grace. Sounds like you're teaching about obedience. Sounds like you're placing too much emphasis on obedience, and it sounds just a little legalistic. I get that. I'm afraid of legalism. I've seen legalism. I've seen the judgment of legalism. I've seen the harshness of legalism. I've seen the unbending nature. I'm right and everyone else is wrong. I've seen it. But be careful, guys. As gracious and as accepting as Jesus is, here is what he said. All authority is given to me on heaven and on earth. Go therefore, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the, I gotta stand up for this one, and the Holy Spirit teaching them everything I've commanded you. Is that what it says? Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. NIV, New International Version. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Message paraphrase. Teaching them to practice everything I've commanded you. Now, if you're from England, you get this word observe a little better than our English, uh, excuse me, our American ears get the word observe. But if you don't get the word observe and you say, well, tell it just means looking at, study God's word, open his word, look at, observe. Well, the next time you're pulled over for speeding, And the officer says, do you know how fast you were going? Just try to get out of your ticket 20 miles over the speed limit. Try it in a school zone, by the way. Don't try it in a school zone. (laughs) You get the point. Just tell the officer, officer, I observed the speed limit. I saw the sign. It said 55 miles an hour. I looked at it very closely. I can tell you in detail what that sign looks like. He might say, sir, please get out of the car. I have a walk that I want you to take. (laughs) Think you're drunk or nuts. Observe in this passage is doing. Observe in this passage is obeying. Guys, I again respect knowledge and intellectualism, but far too long in far too many settings, we've valued this, we've worshiped this. Bible trivia has often been what we take part in and obedience is not emphasized. Jesus did not say, teach them. No. Hear, he said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. N.T. Wright writes these words. By the way, he's, excuse me, Roy Moran writes these words. Now he's a little more in your face. N.T. Wright will get in our face in a moment. Legalism is holding people accountable to human laws, human rules. Jesus was not asking us to obey any rules or guidelines laid down by humans. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. The obedience Jesus commanded was not to cultural standards or denominational practices. No, this obedience finds out what Jesus said, not a denomination, not a spiritual leader, finds out what Jesus said and considers Jesus commands the standard by which to live. They committed. They committed themselves to truth and living out the truth. They also committed themselves to one another. A huge commitment to one another and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. You've heard, many of you, the word koinonia. It means common. It means community. They committed themselves. It sounds a little strange in our language. Committed themselves to fellowship. They, they committed themselves to community. Now, some churches in the past often use this word fellowship. We're going to have a fellowship. It was something you went to and usually you ate too much, all right? Good food. We hung out together. We laughed together. But guys, fellowship, koinonia, is far more than an event you go to. It's a life you live. They committed themselves to koinonia and the way we do that kind of community is not in this room. And I know every time I say that, I I might threaten someone in this room, but I'm telling you, you cannot be in koinonia, in close relationship in this room. We engage in close relationship as we serve together. We engage in close relationship as we use our gifts together. But the primary way we engage in relationship It's through our life groups. Doris talked about them. Kevin leads them. It's a great opportunity to get to know people. They committed themselves to one another, to community, to fellowship. And, hey, food's in there, thank goodness. Right? Food's in there into breaking of bread. Some want to make this breaking of bread only communion. I don't believe that's what's happening in Acts 2. I believe a meal's happening that communion, the Lord's Supper, is part of. And many people believe that. In the book to the Corinthians, they talk about a meal and they talk about communion as if it's one thing. What a beautiful picture of the body gathering. Romans 12, I think, describes the verbs, the interaction that's taking place in this Acts community. It's a lengthy passage, but listen closely. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I want to just jump briefly to Acts 2.44 because where it says they have all things in common, you have the root of the word for koinonia. So they saw all of what they owned as coming from God. 
And when there were those in need in the body, they gave to one another. You gave sacrificially and you gave generously when Hurricane Harvey occurred. I was as proud, as excited to be a part of CFCC in a big way, in a big way. Immediately, you guys waded water and helped people um, clean out, muck their homes. And again, you, you gave sacrificially. You put your money where your mouth was. That's what Acts 2 is doing. They loved one another. They didn't just hear the teachings of the apostles. They lived out the teachings of the apostles. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In the passage dealing with the man who had been tremendously blessed, he was blessed so much he didn't know what to do with the overflow. So he says, I have barns full, but I'm going to build more barns to hold my overflow. And Jesus says about that situation, take care and be on your guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Man, that's un-American right there. What? One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What are you talking about? Guys, I'm not talking about it. Jesus is. Now, do we align our lives under the teachings of Jesus or do we not? Obedience-based discipleship says that we do not measure our fruitfulness by our bank account or by our possessions. One guy whose life was only possessions, Jesus said, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible says the man went away sad. I'm not telling you to sell everything you have. I'm telling you not allow your treasure to be the focus of your life. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The early church committed to one another, committed to truth and living out the truth, but they were committed to prayer. And in fact, the passage says, and when they, devote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. You hear that? By the way, it, it indicates that they didn't just sell what they had and give once. It was a regular habit in the early church. Praying was a regular habit. They prayed again, again, and again. But I don't think this prayers is just about praying again and again and again. You see, we pray, we pray directly from our heart. But you see, the Psalms, many of them were prayers. The disciples prayed them. Beautiful prayers from the past that we pray again and again and again. Jesus, disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he continues. What if I prayed for Rick? Father in heaven, may your kingdom come in Rick's life. May your will be done in Rick's life on earth as it is in heaven. May he know you as father. May he know you as king. May where, where the earth wants to drag him away and become his top priority, may your kingdom be his top priority. May you provide for all his needs. You see, we don't have to just pray the Lord's prayer in a rote way. We can pray the Lord's prayer over our children, over our coworkers. You see, they don't even have to be followers of Jesus to pray that prayer. 
over them. N.T. Wright, and by the way, he is an intellectual and he's usually smooth in the words he uses. Listen to this. Where the church today finds itself stagnant, unattractive, humdrum, and shrinking. And sadly, there are many churches in the Western world, at least, of which that has to be admitted. It's time to read Acts 2, 42 through 47 again and get down on our knees and ask what isn't happening that should be happening. The gospel hasn't changed. God's power hasn't diminished. People still need rescuing. What are we going to do about it? Are we willing to commit to truth and living out the truth? Are we committed to community, to koinonia, to engaging in deep relationships? Whatever it takes, relationships. Are we committed to prayer? Don't tell me you value prayer. Our behavior is the greatest indicator of our values. In no way do I want you to walk out those doors guilty. But I'm telling you, God's spirit has spoke to me again and again. And the last five weeks about lack of prayer in my life. We go through seasons where we're too busy for God. We go through seasons where we're choosing our way, non-prayer over God's way. And we do not live dependently. We live independently. Don't tell me you value prayer if you're not praying. Our behavior is our great, the greatest indicator of our values. Oh, that's legalistic, Dale. Oh no, Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Finally, the early church was committed to growth. Two verses, and then I'll close. Romans 12, four and five. For as the one body, we have many members. One body, locally, one body, universally. And and really one body for all times, past, present, and future. For as in one body, we have many members, hand, feet, nose, kidney, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I'm sorry, some of, well, any of you in this place who are part of this church, I'm part of you. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm part of you. You're part of me. It's not me, my, mine. It's us. It's we. It's strength. It's power. It's maturity. Listen to this beautiful verse as we close. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. We commit to growth, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. It's kind of like mankind, all right? We're not leaving out the ladies, to maturity. Again, we suffer from individualism. This is about community. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I am incomplete without you and you are incomplete without me as the body of Christ. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. And if we want to mature completely, if we want to become 
like Jesus, the stature of Christ, we'll do it together. Jesus possessed all the gifts. We do not. We are the, look through different lenses, body of Christ. And it is a beautiful, powerful thing so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That's the body of Christ. Is that that obvious there? From whom the whole you don't believe me, body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I've been taking some glucosamine and it's kind of strange. Since I've been taking it, I have a knee that pops. You can hear me walking across the room and my knee's just popping. It doesn't hurt at all. It just pops, right? We're not all perfect. My body's not perfect. Oh, we're to grow to the maturity and the full stature of Christ. But every one of us in this room, we're flawed human individuals. And that's why we must love each other just like we are. But as the body of Christ, as we link arms and hands, we have so much potential together. We are in a dangerous predicament when we're fragmented and apart. We're celebrating communion today. We're celebrating the body of Christ. That's how we know what this body needs to look like because Jesus set an example. He left heaven's throne. He took on the form of a servant. He walked among us and the wine the fruit of the vine, he shed his blood. The greatest love story ever told. He gave his life so that we might live a life we do not deserve. I'm going to ask those serving communion to come forward at this time. If you're a follower of Jesus, I invite every one of you, whether you're a part of this congregation or not, to celebrate communion. You know, earlier I talked about prayer. It's not just something you do in your pew. It's not just something you do at home in your favorite chair. It's something you can do right here with a prayer partner as you come forward. We bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. It's something every life group takes part in because we believe in prayer. It's something our elders believe in. If any of you are struggling with sickness or illness, physical, emotional, whatever it might be, James said, call the elders together that they might anoint you with oil. If you ask the elders to do that, they will do it. They will come to you or you can come to them. Go to our website, SciFairChristian.org, there's an opportunity for you to submit prayer needs. All I'm saying is don't live your faith in private. Commit to prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you call us to commitment, not just to connection. We thank you for your word. We thank you for one another. We thank you for the privilege of prayer. And we thank you that you love us too much to let us remain where we are this moment. You call us to be your body. You call us to maturity. And Father, we are grateful We celebrate your grace 
There is not one effort we can perform that earns your grace. We don't work for it. It's through faith. Through faith in Jesus. We experience a relationship with you and we find that we're created for good works from the foundation of the earth. May we celebrate great celebrate grace and may we live out our faith in Jesus name we pray amen won't you come Lord God we thank you for the body and though we resist though we stiff arm know we need one another and so Lord I pray that you would give us the strength to embrace those brothers and sisters around us that we would give grace to those brothers and sisters around us Lord that you would strengthen us as we lean on one another and share one another's burdens and that we would go out together and shine brighter for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May they know that we are Christians by our love and how we love each other. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this word. We thank you that we are not alone in this world, that you are walking with us. But Lord, you've also placed these people to walk alongside us as well. Be with us as we go out, Lord, and shine like stars for the sake of Jesus. We praise you and we thank you in his name. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.